Well, thank you, Zip. Appreciate you not being salty, because nobody likes a salty person, right? But we need to be salt. Amen. Well, this morning, I'm going to kick off a series on Psalm chapter 91. So if you want to follow in your Bible, uh, feel free to open there. We'll be there the next couple of weeks. Um, Psalm 91 is one of the most popular psalms in Scripture. Psalm 91 and Psalm 23 are probably the, the ones that you see the most of. It's often read as a prayer in many faith traditions. They've, uh, many uh, faiths have created uh, a prayer around Psalm 91. In fact, uh, if you go to the next slide, it's known as the Soldier's Psalm. Next slide. Thank you. It's known as the Soldier's Psalm, and it's a prayer of protection. It's often carried on, uh, printed on bandanas or carried in a small laminated card. Here's a picture of a soldier that's wearing it printed on a bandana. And they print the, the Soldier's Psalm, and it's just Psalm 91 that they carry with them. Uh, psalm 91 is also quoted by the devil. Ooh. <laughs> Verses 11 through 12. It's this uh, portion of the psalm that the devil quotes to Jesus when he's being tempted in the wilderness. And then uh, it's also been set to all kinds of music, all genres of music, whether it be English music or uh, other languages. Uh, it's, it's been music. Obviously, you see it printed in homes. Uh, you know, probably most of you can quote some of it. Uh, why is this psalm so popular? Well, in it is a promise of protection. And it's a promise of protection in the face of terror, in the face of evil, in the face of disease, in the face of trouble, in the face of uncertainty. There are promises that are in the Psalms that uh, are made when we face these things. And in times of trouble and uncertainty, it brings comfort. It settles the mind that is racing to find the answers. It calms the restless soul. If you've ever been in trouble or times of uncertainty, you know the condition of your heart and your mind during those times, right? It's unsettled, it's racing, it's unsure, it's, it's all kinds of uh, storm-like activity going on inside of you. And it's in, it's in these times that this psalm brings comfort. And I would say that at this potential, uh, this season in our society, we need a little bit of that. No, just me? I'm not the only one who, whose mind is racing, whose heart is restless, who's facing uh, troubling things or things that I'm uncertain of. I'm sure if we sat down and had a conversation, it would apply to every single person in this room and every single person watching us online right now. We just don't have the answers. The things that we do see trouble us. They're very confusing. What does the future hold? Who knows, right? And it's in times like this that our, uh, we, we look for something solid to hold on to. 
Do you know that um, uh, physically speaking, uh, in our bodies, our brains can't handle uncertainty and unknowing? So it's actually a defense mechanism that in, when there are gaps and we don't have the answers, we don't know, our brain makes up a story. And you're like, ah, no, it doesn't. I will give you an example. You're walking through a, a hallway and you come across a spider web. Right? Your brain doesn't pause and go, hmm, that might be a leftover spider web. Or maybe that's not a spider web. Maybe that's just a string leading across the room. Right? Your brain doesn't pause and rationally think through all the information. No, your brain makes up a story. There's probably a deadly spider hanging out that's going to bite me and potentially kill me or turn me into Spider-Man. Right? Your brain just makes up a story, whether it's true or not. And life is that way, too. Our brains fill in the gaps. That's why we believe all kinds of things on the Internet that we don't know if they're true or not. Because we need something to fill in the gap of the unknown. And so when we have the right mindset and we focus our heart and we focus our mind on what we know is true and what is right and what is long-standing, we can have confidence, which brings us a level of peace and comfort in the times of trouble and uncertainty. So we're going to look at Psalm 91 and actually draw comfort, draw peace, and whatnot. So we're going to start in verses 1 through 2. Reading from the, uh, the NIV translation, it says this, Whoever dwells, dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And we're going to stop there. We're not going to go any farther today other than those two verses. Because in these two verses, the writer lays a foundation and a mindset that we need to have when approaching times of trouble and uncertainty. Say, hmm. He lays that foundation for a right mindset. Because in these two verses, the writer calls God by four different names. He calls God Most High. He calls God Almighty. He calls God Lord. And he calls God God. Four different terms he uses for the same person in just two verses. Why would you call somebody by four different names? Even if they're true. That would be like my wife introducing to me as, hey, this is Steve, the pastor, the father, the husband. Like, well, thank you, dear. The legend, right? Right? Like, just, he's introducing us to God with four different names of God. And this is important for us because, uh, especially in biblical times, names weren't just something cool that people liked, like, 
Like when you name your child nowadays, it kind of like, hey, we kind of like the name Steve. So we picked Steve. Well, what does Steve mean? Psst, I don't know. We just like the name. That's not what happened in biblical times. Names were descriptive in ancient times, and they revealed things about people. We see some of this in Native American names, right? They, sometimes the names reveal the position or a capability of someone or something that they had walked through and experienced. You know, we, uh, you know sometimes the movies, they, they joke, or maybe you have like, like a Native American name would be like Standing Bear or, right, uh, um, what's the movie? The uh, uh, Dances with Wolves, thank you. I'm getting off track. It's important because the names are descriptive and they reveal something. So when the author is sharing with us the four names, he's revealing the character and nature, and it's important for us to pay attention. So let's pause for a minute from preaching mode, and we're going to go do a little bit of teaching, give you a little lesson here so you can understand, and maybe some things in Scripture will open up to you. The, the word L, letters E-L, is a generic term for God that was used in the Bible as well as other ancient languages. So it's not descriptive of just biblical writing. They can look back and, uh, and see it writing in languages, ancient languages all over. So it was a generic term for God or deity. L, combined with another word, creates a descriptive name. Let me give you an example. What was the nation in the Bible, uh, God's people? Israel. Israel. Okay? Israel means one who is ruled by God. So, Israel, by God. We often, uh, you see lots of churches' names uh, called Beth El. Right, Bethel. Bethel means house of God. So you can see how the name means something. So when they say Israel, it means one who's ruled by God. Bethel, this is the house of God. And so the psalmist is reminding himself and he's reminding the reader in this psalm who they are praying to and who they are trusting him by using specific names for God. I think, I think it's pretty cool. And each name reveals the appropriate view and characteristic of God we should have when we face trouble and uncertainty. We should know God as these names if we're going to face trouble insecurity, and uncertainty and make it through and have these promises lived out in our life. So there's the right mindset he's establishing here in approaching our troubles and our uncertainty as it relates to God. And so we're going to look uh, at these four names and, and learn and hopefully apply to our lives how we should approach God when we're facing trouble and uncertainty. The first word that we see in the list is most high. We sang about it today, God Most High. You're like, what in the world, Most High? Is it like he's 
higher in the heaven, the devil's under and God is higher? Well, the Hebrew word, you'll, now that we had a little lesson before, is elyon. You've probably heard that in, in, uh, in fiction book writing and all these kinds of things. Well, elyon, simply translated, is the most high. And what it meant was the supreme from all others. Like, it is supreme. It's the, it's the most. It's the greatest. It's the greater in all things and in every way. So it could be, uh, you know, that was the most high mountain. What would be the most high mountain in the world? Everest. So Mount Everest is the most high mountain. Because there are no other mountains as high as Mount Everest. You might have uh, the most high in height like Mount Everest. You might have the most high in splendor or majesty. The most high in wealth. The most high in reputation. The most high, you get what I'm saying. The, the, the descriptive means the most supreme or the greatest in that category. So, let's look how it was used in Genesis chapter 14, verses 18 through 20. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. When you look that up in the original language, that is El Elyon, God Most High. Um, And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram for God Most High. Now it's describing God Most High, creator of the heavens and the earth. Then we go on to the next one. And he, and praise be to God Most High. Most high, who delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So God is described here as the God most high. So when we say God most high, he is the most supreme of gods. There is no God like him. He is higher than every God. He is higher of everything. And and Uh, Moses, when he's writing Genesis, says he was introduced, Melchizedek, he's the God of gods. He's the creator of everything. That's how he was proving that God was most high. You see, he created everything. He is the most high God. He is God of gods, Lord of lords, King of kings. He is the supreme. And so, What does that mean in our context when we're facing trouble or uncertainty? That he is greater than any threat you can face. That he is greater than any obstacle that's in your way. That he is greater than any opposition that comes your way. Greater than any natural disaster. He's greater than any sickness you may endure. He is greater. He is most high. That is who God is. He is most high. So he is supreme over everything. There is nothing greater or more supreme than God himself. 
That's his name. It describes who he is. El Elyon, God Most High. Let's look at the second word that came in uh, Psalm 91. They use the word Almighty. Right? He was, he who dwells in the secret place of the Most High will dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. Well, Almighty, again, a little lesson here. The Hebrew word, you've probably heard this before, maybe sung in a song or written somewhere, is Shaddai. And Shaddai means mighty, unconquerable in greatness, in strength, or everlasting nature, meaning you can't, you can't outweigh him. You can't, you can't wear something that is Shaddai down. It's just, it's, it's unconquerable. You know, like sometimes when your kids want something and they just hound you and hound you and hound you until they wear you down and you give in? If you are Shaddai, that does not happen to you because you stand firm. You are unconquerable. So somebody or something that's Shaddai is unconquerable, unmatched in, in power or strength, in, in their everlasting, eternal nature, which really the only one who can be ascribed this way is God. That there is, it means all-powerful, omnipotent, nothing greater. Now, sometimes kings were, were given this uh, title because maybe they conquered uh, an empire and they were like considered all-powerful, but the real all-powerful omnipotent one was God. And in Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, we see it used in a sentence. Can we, can we turn there? When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully, and blameless. So God introduces himself to uh, Abram, who becomes Abraham, and he says, I am all-powerful. That had to have been quite an experience. I mean, just pause for a minute and put yourself in Abraham's shoes. Now, none of us in this room are 99. Some are closer than others. But I heard that laugh in the back. Um, but imagine standing and meeting God or meeting this being and he introduces himself as, I am all-powerful, I am unconquerable. We see that in movies, right? Like Aladdin, right? Like, I am all-powerful, you know. Like, and we think of that nature, but God introduces himself to Abraham as, I am the one who nobody can conquer. I'm all-powerful. What does this mean? It means he is an all-sufficient God, capable of eternally, that means forever, being all that he or his people need. Eternally capable of being everything he needs or we need. That means there is nothing that is too strong for God. There is nothing that can conquer God. There is nothing that can overcome him. There is no evil. There is no force. There is no person. There is no strength, 
Time itself can't even conquer God. He doesn't rust. He doesn't fall apart. He doesn't wear down. He is all-powerful. There is nothing, nothing that can conquer him. So when he introduces himself as those who are in the shadow of the Almighty, you know what that means? That means those where the Almighty is here and those who stand right here in his shadow. That's a bit of comfort. I'll tell you a story when I was you know, uh, probably freshman high school. I didn't have a driver's license yet. I was a little geeky, got a little bullied, you know, that kind of picked on stuff. And uh, I, I think I've told this story before, but it's appropriate for here. I wanted to go to the county fair. But you know what? At the county fair, there were bullies. I knew I'd run into somebody from school who'd pick on me, and so I just, yeah, I'm not going to go, whatever. And I remember this guy, Nick, from our church, And Nick wasn't a tall guy. Nick was an Italian. But Nick Nick lifted weights. And Nick was big. And Nick said, Yo, Steve, you want to go to the fair? Just like Italians, like Rocky, the whole... And I was like, with you? He's like, yeah. He took me to the fair. And guess what? When we came across those bullies, I stood right next to Nick and smiled. Because I knew I was in the shadow of Nick. (laughs) Right? There ain't no bully who's going to mess with me in the shadow of Nick. Right? I had fun at that fair. I walked free in that fair. Nothing was going to touch me at that fair. But those who walk in the shadow of the Almighty will find protection. So it is important that when we view and we come to God in times of trouble, we realize that we are in the shadow of the unconquerable. He cannot be conquered. And you live in his shadow. There's nothing that can touch you in the shadow of the Almighty. The third word that we see here used in verse 2 is the Lord. And you say, that's a pretty common name. Well, Hebrew, and, and know this, the, the, connect, the appropriate pronunciation in Hebrew is Yehovah. In English, we tend to translate it as Yahweh or Jehovah. If you look at it, it's spelled Jehovah, but the J is silent in Hebrew, so it's Yehovah. Anyway, little little lesson for you. But it's Jehovah. You've heard this. We've sung it. it. It's a common name. Why is it so common? It's because it is the proper name for the God of Israel. You see, the psalmist wants to be very clear here. He's not talking about Baal as Almighty God. He's not talking about Buddha as the High One. He's not talking about Zeus. He's not talking about Allah. He's not talking about Molech. These are all gods that were served by people groups in that area. He is talking about Jehovah, the God of the Israelites. That's the proper name for God. And in Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, 
God introduces himself to Moses. I appeared to Abraham, this is God speaking, to Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty. We just talked about God Almighty. He introduced himself to the patriarchs as I am all-powerful, unconquerable God. The highest, creator of everything. But by my name, the Lord, which is translated Jehovah, I did not make myself fully known to them. That's interesting. God begins in the beginning of mankind. He establishes that, hey, there is a God who is most high. He's above everything. He is supreme. He is greater in every way. And he is all-powerful, unable to be conquered. And he's the God you should serve. And then he takes it another step with Moses. He says, hey, by the way, um, that God is not all these other little gods who people are serving. My God, my name is Jehovah. And from that point on, he becomes Israel's God by name. In fact, his name was so holy, they won't even write it in, in their scriptures. They abbreviate, they use a, a two-letter symbol, because uh, they won't say his name because it's too holy. But he identifies himself and he says, this is who we're talking about here. We're not talking about some uh, force in the atmosphere. We're not talking about this, hey, they're probably all the same gods, just revealed differently. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm the God revealed through the Israelites. This is who is almighty, and this is who is most high. We're not going to, we can't get this confused. This is what the psalmist is saying. Know who you are trusting in. He is Jehovah, Yahweh, Jehovah, however you want to pronounce it. How does this relate to us? We don't trust in, in just mystical forces and think, well, that's God. Well, maybe they're all connected. I, I just don't know. Or dabble and pull little this and little of that and little of this. No, when we trust in times of trouble and uncertainty, it is the God of Israel that we are trusting in. His name is Jehovah. Trusting in anything else doesn't do it. And that's why the psalmist brings him in specifically and says, we're talking about the Lord here. We're talking about the Lord. Lastly, he uses the term God. Now, this is the most uh, generic, common term for God. It, it, it is in the Old Testament 2,600 times. So anytime you just see the word God in any of its forms, it's this word. It's Elohim. And it's just the generic term for deity, uh, expressing majesty and authority and those kinds of things. So why at the end does the psalmist just use a generic term? And it's simple. For the two-letter word before the word God, he makes it personal. He says, this is my God. This is my God. This is the God worthy of my worship. This is the God worthy of the authority in my life. This is the God whom I serve. The 
the high one, the almighty one. His name is Yahweh. This is my God. And and can I ask you this morning, is the most high, almighty Yehovah your God? Because that's who these promises are for. And we're not talking just, yeah, I, in my mind, yeah, I agree that this guy exists. That's not what the psalmist is saying when he says he's saying he's my God. You see, when somebody attached themselves to a God and they said this is my God, it meant that they were going to do the things necessary to have a relationship with that God. And some of those things and some of those gods way back then were terrible. Sacrificing children and cutting themselves and all kinds of weird, grotesque things. But the psalmist says, this is my God. This is the God that I worship. This is the God that I give authority to in my life. This is the God that I serve, that I align myself with. He's my God. What does this mean for us? This means that we, for us to take hold of the promises we see in Psalm 91, he has to be your God. And we're going to get into that in a few weeks about how how do we come to him and what does it mean to dwell within and all these kinds of promises that are found in here that bring us comfort. But if you're reading it and you're not really doing or aligning yourself with what it says now, then the promise might bring you temporary comfort, but it's not, it's a false comfort. And that's not what we're after. We're not just after making you feel good. At least I'm not after making you feel good. I'm after you taking hold of the promises of God and realizing them in your life and living victoriously. That's what I'm after. And that comes when we make Yahweh, the Almighty, the Most High God, our God. Let me wrap this up this morning so we can take communion. When facing trouble and uncertainty, we must face it with the right mindset. We must look at it and walk into it as the psalmist says. And that's saying, you know what? My God is the most high God. He is bigger and he is more supreme than anything I'm going to face. There is nothing bigger or greater than my God. Can I get an amen? Right? When we walk into troubles and uncertainty, we have to be clothed with the mindset that my God is bigger than every other God, every other voice, every other situation, every other other every other, 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 everything. There is nothing bigger, greater, more supreme than my God. And you know what? Sometimes we have to remind ourselves these things. We have to tell ourselves, yes, that's right, this is who my God is. We have to walk in with the mindset that my God is almighty, That he is stronger than anything I face. 
Nothing can conquer my God. And my God has the ability and the capability of being all and everything I will ever need. Eternally. He is capable. There is nothing that's beyond his strength, nothing beyond his grasp. There is nothing beyond uh, that will surprise him, that's beyond his control, that's going to overtake God. There's nothing. He is unconquerable in every way, shape, and form. God Almighty, my God. That my God is Yahweh. That he is the God of Israel revealed through the Holy Scriptures. Now, he's, he's no longer just the God of Israel, right? He just chose to reveal himself to mankind through the nation of Israel. But he's, all our, he's everyone's God. But specifically, I know who my God is. He's he's the God as revealed in this book. Like I said, it's not any other smaller demigod. It's not the Greek God. He's not the Roman gods. He's not the Middle Eastern gods. He's Jehovah. That's my God. I know who I serve. And And lastly, all of this, he's my God. My God, through relationship, through the the power, the sacrifice, and the blood of Jesus Christ, He becomes yours. These are some things that we need to remind ourselves, and especially when we're walking through trouble through uncertainty. We don't know what's next. We're frustrated with this. Something feels like it's overcoming us. We, we need to approach it and say, remind ourselves that my God is most high. My God is stronger. He is almighty. He is these things. So even though I might be struggling, wrestling, figuring in the midst of this thing, like I trust in a God who is these things. And I know when we're in the thick of it, that can be really hard. That can be really hard. Because you wish you could see God. You wish you could see him standing there next to you like I could see Nick standing next to me. You wish you would just see, hey God, do your thing. Do your thing, God. Like the genie in the bottle. You get three wishes, Right? God's most high, so he, God does God's thing. And we'll get into that later. But the mind easily erodes away. And when you're, when you're restless and you're worrying and you're, you're susceptible to believe things that you're told or you read or that you see that you don't know are true, but it kind of fits you know, maybe here and, and it, it, it's shaky ground, the solid thing you hold on to is the fact that my God is the most high God. That I don't care what's, what's going on around me. My God is most high and almighty. He, he will prevail. And, and guess what? I'm, I'm connected to him because he's mine. I'm part of that family. Right? And if you think, like, you know, family takes care of itself like the mafia and those kinds of things, God takes care of his family. 
right? And, and if you've accepted Jesus Christ into your life, the blood of Jesus Christ connects you to his family. You have, no matter what you feel, no matter what you think about yourself, you are part of the family of God if you have faith in Jesus Christ. So you can be down on your luck. You can be like, man, I really screwed up. I, I sinned really bad. Uh, I, I messed this up. God probably doesn't. No, 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 none of that. The blood of Jesus Christ connects you to family. Your family by blood. And guess what? If any of my kids really mess up and frustrate me, they're still my family through blood. We're family. God's got you. This morning as we uh, take communion, I just, I want us to focus on these things. You know, when Jesus stood at that last supper, he said, do this in remembrance of me. And he talked, he was, he was prophesying really about uh, his upcoming sacrifice and death and burial and resurrection as we remember these things, we remember that our God is most high. That our, our God is almighty. And, and you see, the life, Jesus, when he came on the scene in the flesh, he proved that by having power over death. No one in this room has power over death. Right? I mean, medical science has come a long way. And we can do a lot that years ago people thought not possible. But somebody dies and you put them in the morgue for three days with no refrigeration, no embalming fluids, nothing like that. And then, you know, bring it back to life just like God had power. He demonstrated this over healings, rising, raising people from the dead. Um, he is most high almighty. And, and today, uh, you know, if you want to take out your communion, if you're at home with us and you want to grab your, your communion um, supplies, we'll just go to the next slides because we don't need to